Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 7 through 15. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice. For this is expedient for you, who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. We are continuing in this series, What Grace Is This? As I mentioned earlier, there are but four verses in the New Testament with the phrase, this grace. Each is written by the Apostle Paul, and I believe they identify four areas of the grace of God at work in a believer's life. The first is amazing grace, Ephesians 3.8, then available grace, Romans 5.2, abundant grace, here in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, and then also abiding grace, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19. Chapters 8 and 9 deal with the apostles' collection for the Judean saints. This is an offering to aid the members of the Church of Jerusalem in a time of hardship due to famine and persecution. Paul's exposition on giving, as found in these two chapters, I believe is the most comprehensive one on this subject found in the Word of God. In this passage, Paul identifies the principles for giving in verses 1 through 6, the purposes for giving, verses 7 through 15, the policies for giving in chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 5, and the promises in giving, chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. But our text, verse 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. Paul here identifies a number of Christian graces in which believers are to abound. He starts with faith, which is our confidence in the Lord, then utterance, our communication to others, knowledge, our comprehension of God's word, diligence, our commitment to service, love, our compassion for others, and then he concludes this verse with this grace, the grace of giving or our contributions to others. I understand the topic of money and giving is a touchy subject for many folks, but the Bible has a great deal to say about our finances. In fact, 
How people view money is an indication of their spirituality, and what they do with their money reflects their morality. In the words of Jesus himself, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The Bible does not forbid possessing money, but it does provide specific warnings as to how we view our finances. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, money in one form or another is a very integral part of any culture and serves an important purpose, such as it is to be used to provide for the needs of one's household, 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Money is to be used to pay debts, Romans 13.8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And then Proverbs 21.20 indicates money can be used to provide for future needs. There is a treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Now once those basic obligations have been met, believers are ready to give for the work of the ministry and the furtherance of the gospel. Now, As we indicated last week, Paul approaches or writes the Corinthian believers about this subject and he presents to them three arguments with the hope of encouraging them to be generous in their giving and to excel in this grace also like they did the other graces that were mentioned in verse 7. Last week, we looked at the first of those arguments, which is the argument of proven examples in verses 8 and 9. It is there Paul calls attention to what others had done by citing the examples of abundant grace in the Macedonian believers as they experienced through their giving in verse 8. And the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated in giving of himself as recorded in verse 9. Now, look with me at verses 11 and 12 as we consider this second argument, the argument of purposeful action. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. In this passage, Paul calls attention to what the believers there at Corinth could and should do in regard to giving. The verbs perform and performance emphasize action or activity with the intent to bring to an end, finish, complete, accomplish, or fulfill something. Twice Paul refers to their willing mind and twice he challenges them to act upon that desire. It is the idea of picturing in your mind what you want to see happen, of visualizing what you want to see accomplished, then actually doing something to reach your goals and realize your dreams. It's been said, talk is cheap. It's one thing to say, I want to read through my Bible in a year, but it's quite another to actually sit down, open your Bible, and read a passage of scripture every day. It's one thing to say, I'd like to lead someone to Christ. But it's another matter altogether to go to an individual and share with them the gospel message. It's one thing to say, I'd like to have more friends. 
But Proverbs 18.24 tells us, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. This is the principle of personal commitment. It is the responsibility of every individual believer to act upon the desires of his or her heart and seek to accomplish God's will in their own lives. Vance Havner is noted as saying, The vision must be followed by the venture. It is not enough to stare up the steps. We must step up the stairs. William Carey was well known for saying, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Paul is making it clear this principle of doing, getting involved, putting feet to our prayers also applies to the area of our finances. Though many view giving from opposite sides of the spectrum, some see it as a preference, others as an obligation, when really, in fact, it is a great privilege to give to the work of the Lord. This is because giving is the pipeline by which God brings promised blessings to his people. Our Lord emphasized this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Paul addressed this same thought later in his letter to the Corinthians. We see in chapter 9, verse 6, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. See, generous giving to God results in greater giving from God. I don't know who said it, but the fact remains, it is impossible to outgive God. The promises throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, associated with giving, should motivate us to be generous givers. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it. Yes, there are a multitude of blessings bestowed upon the saints of God when they both realize the abundance of God's grace in the area of giving and act upon that realization by actually giving. It's interesting to note, the only direct quote from Jesus' earthly ministry recorded outside of the Gospels is in Paul's address to the Ephesian elders, where he stated in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me go ahead and add one side note here before we continue. It's sad to acknowledge that there are many false claims made by so-called Christian ministries promoting the false concept of the self-indulgent prosperity gospel. They've done great harm to the cause of Christ. 
Their misleading appeals have confused countless numbers of believers and fueled the intensity of critics who scoff at the truths of the word of God. There are many who will misrepresent the truths we see in God's word concerning giving. Paul stresses the necessity of putting feeling into action. The tragedy of life so often is not that we have no high goals or lofty dreams, but that we fail to turn them into actions. Pastor Edward Everett Hale, the late 1800s, stated, I cannot do everything, but I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. David Livingston stated, sympathy is no substitute for action. Someone else has stated, realizing your need without acting upon it leaves you in the same place you started. Yes, Paul put forth the argument of purposeful action, of doing something rather than just sitting around talking about it. But the third argument he presented to the Corinthian believers is found in verses 13, 14, and 15. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. In his first argument, Paul called attention to what others had done. In his second argument, he called attention to what we can do. And his third argument, Paul calls attention to what God will do. Past, present, future. Paul covers the whole spectrum of the benefits of giving and recognizing the abundance of God's grace in this area. This passage begins with a clarifying statement that goes against the mindset of many today. Not only is there a push from political leftists to change our governmental system to a socialist society, there are a number of professing Christians, misguided as they are, who believe Paul promoted a Christianized form of socialism or communism. This view is completely false. And verse 13 makes that crystal clear. He said, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. The chief idea and concept of socialism and communism is take from the rich and give to the poor. It's so that all men can have equally the same thing. But Paul is not saying that is the responsibility or duty of Christians. He's not saying to put everybody on the same level. We'll see that in just a moment, but there are other passages of scripture that make this just as clear. 1 Thessalonians 4:11, and that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. 2 Thessalonians 3:10 through 12. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Paul addresses the first law of economics. You don't work, you don't eat. 
He's not telling people to sit around and do nothing and let somebody else earn a living and buy them food and provide them shelter and give them clothing. He's not presenting a welfare mentality here. No, he's saying everyone should do his or her part. Everyone should be responsible for their own lives. So what does Paul mean by equality here? To put it in a common vernacular, he's saying life has a way of evening things up. By the way, that happens not by karma, fate, destiny, luck, fortune, coincidence, accident, kismet, or happenstance. No, Paul was confirming here his confidence in God's ability to even things out. He believed that God is a good bookkeeper. You see, the Lord's records are completely accurate, for he knows all things and lacks understanding in nothing. God sees, he knows, and he rewards accordingly. And he doesn't miss anything that anybody does for his honor and his glory. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, God repays bounty with bounty. And sparing with sparing. We see this principle in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The last phrase in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 declares, He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Paul, not wanting to burden the Corinthian believers, did want them to realize because they were able to help poorer churches, should do so. And he's reminding them, they should keep in mind that they don't know the future. One day they themselves might also be in a situation where they have a need and others could step in and help them as they did the church at Jerusalem. The Old Testament quotation which Paul concludes this passage with is Exodus chapter 16 verse 18. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. It tells how when the Israelites went out and gathered manna in the wilderness, whether man gathered much or little, he had enough. If only we as God's children would learn the value of enough. Far too many of us claim the watchword of the hour as being more. Give me more. I want more. I need more. I'll take more. I have to have more. Oh, if only we'd learn the joy of contentment. If we truly want to gather great sums, we have to remember everything in this life is going to pass away. It's going to burn up. It'll no longer be in existence. So how do we go about gathering things for eternity? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, in addressing the abundance of this grace, the grace of giving, Paul used three arguments to state his position to the Corinthians. In his argument of proven examples, Paul called attention to what others had done. In his argument of purposeful actions, he called attention to what we can do. And in his argument of providential reward, Paul points to what God will one day do. Past, present, future. It is covered quite well by the Apostle Paul. And how we ought to follow the example that is set forth in Scripture and be an example to others. There is an abundance of the grace of God available to us in the area of our finances. And we simply need to trust him with what we have, recognizing that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. Everything that we possess, we have of the Lord. Let us learn how to trust him with what we have. And let us learn to trust him with what we have in such a way that we are willing to use that which he has put in our possession for the work of the ministry and for the benefit of others. I'd like to close this illustration, the idea of what goes around comes around. This is told, I believe, by Paul Harvey, so I repeat it for you, about a man named Brian Anderson. He was driving home late one night, and he saw a car by the side of the road. And as he approached it, he saw there was an old lady standing next to the car out in the cold. So he pulled his car in behind her Mercedes, the light shining on her. He could tell. She was concerned. She was frightened. So he got out of his car and approached her and he said, Ma'am, my name is Brian Anderson. I'm just stopping to help you. What do you need? Well, it turned out she had a flat tire. But for her, that was a big enough task that she couldn't do it herself. He said, ma'am, why don't you wait inside the car where it's warm and I'll take care of this. He was able to change her tire without a great deal of difficulty. Oh, he got dirty and wet, a little bit bloodied in the affair, but he was able to handle it without any problem. While he was working, the woman rolled down the window and she said, I'm from St. Louis and I was just passing through this way. And I just want you to know, I, I appreciate so much you stopping and helping. I didn't know what I was going to do. I've been out here for over an hour, and nobody else has stopped. Brian just smiled and finished with the work, closed her trunk, and the lady asked him how much she owed him. Brian never thought twice about being paid. He was just helping someone in need the way he had been taught and had always practiced. He said, if you really want to pay me back, the next time you see someone who needs help, give that person the assistance they need and think of me when you do it. He waited until she started her car and pulled away safely and he got in his car and drove on home. A few miles down the road, the lady saw a small cafe. She went in to grab a bite to eat and take the chill off before she made the last leg of her trip home. It wasn't a real clean restaurant. Outside were a couple of old gas pumps, and the whole scene was very unfamiliar to her. The waitress came over and brought a clean towel for her to dry her hair, and she had a sweet smile. 
one that even being on her feet for the whole day couldn't erase. The lady noticed the waitress was nearly eight months pregnant. They spoke for a moment of that. She also noticed the waitress did not let the strain of her physical condition keep her from demonstrating a pleasant spirit. The old lady wondered how someone who had so little could be so kind to a stranger. Then she remembered Brian. After the lady finished the meal, she paid with a $100 bill. The waitress went to cash her out, and when she came back to give her her change, the old lady had already slipped away. The waitress wondered where she could be, and then she noticed something written on the napkin there at the table. There were tears in her eyes when she read the note. It said, you don't owe me anything. I have been there too. Somebody just helped me the way I'm helping you. Under the napkin were four $100 bills. That night when she got home from work and climbed into bed, she was thinking about the money and what the lady had written, and she wondered how that woman could know she and her husband needed help. With the baby due in the coming month, it was going to be hard. She knew how worried her husband was, and as he lay sleeping next to her, she gave him a soft kiss and whispered, Everything's going to be all right. I love you, Brian Anderson. And as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. God sees every gift we give and every activity we accomplish. It's wonderful to know he sees all that we do and that his abundant grace is sufficient for our every need. It's been said, grace is not given because we have done good works, but grace is given that we may be able to do good works. God has done so much for us. We have much for which we can be grateful. Should we not follow the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul here in this text and excel in this grace? also. Amen.